listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning again. Welcome to Anthem. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm feeling that loss of an hour of sleep from this morning. And then it, it seems like I was talking to somebody this morning, and it's like, man, it just feels like a double whammy, like to be kicked while you're down when you look outside and it's snowing. And it's March in Missouri, and it's snowing, but that's okay, because uh, it's beautiful, and this is the day the Lord has made, so I'll rejoice and be glad in it, even if I'm not happy about it. So um, go ahead and take your Bibles. We're in Galatians chapter 6. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors on staff um, here at Anthem, uh, and, and this morning, as you, as you take your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to get Bibles into your hands, so we have Bibles back at our resource table. If you don't have a Bible, we would, again, love to... Love to get you one. But we're in, we're in Galatians chapter 6. We only have a few more weeks in, in the book of Galatians. And this morning, as you're turning uh, to Galatians chapter 6, the question I want to ask and the question I feel like Paul addresses in this section is what does it look like for people who have been set free from sin and death, people who have been set free, what does it look like for those people to engage in Christian community? What does it look like for us to live in community with one another? And, and the reason I think this is an important question for us to address is because when I talk about Christian community, I think that there are a lot of different things, different, different pictures that might pop up in people's minds, right? Like some people, when, when I talk about Christian community, it, we may have this like flowery vision of like uh, communal living and making your own clothes and... and uh, I don't know what else goes under that category, right? You can, you can fill in the blanks. And, and part of me, I'm like, oh, that, I, I, love, I love living in community with people, and there's parts of that, that that sound really awesome. And when I think of Christian community, it's like, man, that's the ideal, where, where we're all kind of on the same page, on the same level, and, and that's the ideal. And I think that lots of times what happens is that we, we're like, okay, that should be Christian community, so let's engage in community. And what we do is we, we, we get into relationship with other Christians, other, other believers, other people who love Jesus, and we realize that those people are still flawed and still messed up and still broken. And, and so the ideal doesn't get met, and so what happens is now we have this negative view of Christian community, where, where like, if, if some of you, when you hear Christian community, what you hear is kind of my experience growing up with this, this uber-traditional church, uh, where, you know, a lot of the church people were super judgmental, and uh, they, they ran a lot of people off, and when you think of Christian community, it's like, I don't, I'm good, right? I don't, I don't want any of that. I don't, I've had that, I've been there before, I've sat in those pews, I don't want to go back to that. Right? But, but the question is, what, what should it look like? Because I think sometimes when we, when we have this ideal and it's like, oh, well, that's not being met, and so this is where, oh, and I don't like that. And so the question is, but, but where do we land in this? What, what should Christian community look like? What should, what, what should it look like? As, as Todd taught last week on Galatians 5, where we see Christians, people who love Jesus, trying to walk by the Spirit Walk by the Holy Spirit who, who have the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit welling up in their lives, this love, joy, peace, gentleness, um, and so on and so forth. My mind, it kind of peters out after, after that. But, um, but what does it look like for us to, to walk as free people in Christian community? That's the, that's the question. Okay, so as we read this passage, 
I want us to be asking that, and I want to, to, to be answering that as we go along. So we're going we're gonna to read five verses, starting on verse 1 in chapter 6. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to stand. I like doing this every now and then. Just uh, I want you to stand up with me. We're going to read this. I'm going to read it. You're going to listen, and you're going to stand there. And out of respect for the word, it's just fun to do this every now and then. Chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray. God, I praise you for your word. God, I pray that you would that you would speak to us through it this morning. And God, I pray that you would meet us where we're at. God, if there are people in, in here who, who they're, they're feeling um, burdens this morning, God, I pray that you would meet them where they're at. I pray that you would speak to us and um, help us to understand more of you. And it's in your name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so the first thing that we see here is, as Paul is, is kind of addressing this idea of what does it look like to live in Christian community, I think, it's, I think, I think we can't just run past that first word without addressing uh, what he addresses them as, right? The very first word he says is brothers. And I, I, love, I love how Paul, Paul does that. He, he, he says brothers, and then and he says, okay, stop there. What, what's he doing? He's, he's, he's starting to kind of land the plane in his message time, uh, in, in this letter. He's kind of closing it out. And I think what he's doing is, he's, one, he's saying, hey, hey, eyes on me, right? If, if, you've, like, if you're checking out, if, you're, if you've, you know, you're hearing this letter being read, because they would have read it all in one setting and in, uh, in the church. And he's saying, hey, if you took out your phone and you're playing Minesweeper or something, like, like eyes back on me, right? Let's, let's re-engage in this. Right, let's, let's re-engage, and I think, it's, I think it's awesome that he says, brothers, brothers, and, and what he's doing is he's reaffirming, he's, he's saying, we are a family, right, we are one body, we are in this together, we are on the same team, and I think the, the reason we can't just run past that is because sometimes I think it's so easy for us to forget that simple truth. Right, it becomes more like when I when I play when I play Halo with with Jackson. That's a video game for you older generation, right? When when I play Halo with Jackson, all too often we, it starts off. You know, we have a mission, we have this thing we're going towards, and we're on the same team, and we're going after it together. And then he shoots me, right? It's like ah, right, yeah, yeah. That's ah, it's it's like mm, and then the game devolves into us just trying to destroy each other. That's. That's what, what happens. And the mission, the thing that we're supposed to be about, the thing that we're supposed to be on the same team, the aliens we're supposed to destroy, right? They just throw a party or what. I don't know what they do in the computer world. But, but that's what happens in the church all too often. Is, is we start to, we see the negative things and we start to, to backbite and we start to put down and we start to come against each other and, and we don't realize that even if we win, when I come against you and if I win, actually lose it's like me scoring on my own basket he says brothers in light of that in the context that we are a family and we are one body 
He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. See, that what we see there is he's saying brothers in, in this context of family as one body. He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, the thing that I want you to see there, the, the first thing that, that we see that should, that should characterize this Christian community, this group of, of people who love Jesus, who are under Jesus, who are one body in Jesus, the thing that should characterize them first and foremost in this section is this idea of mutual accountability. I love how it's the, those two terms there, it's super broad where he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual. See, the, what, what Paul's saying, what I believe that he's saying there is he's saying there is no one and nothing that is out of this, this idea of mutual accountability. There should be nothing that's off limits uh, when, we, when we come together as a Christian community. There should, be, there should be nothing where we see something and it's like, I don't know about that. There, there's nobody above this idea of accountability. I, I remember when, when I first had kids, um, especially, especially my son, um, uh, when, when he was like two and three and just like learning to talk, it seemed like he started asking questions. And, and, and I was raised where if you asked a question of your father, that was seen as disrespect. I don't know if any of you, anybody else, uh, you know, nobody. Okay, that's good. But uh, this, this idea, when he started asking questions, I, it was just like, ugh. You know, it was like, you know, bowing up to a two-year-old, right, a three-year-old. And it's like, oh, he's, he's, he's disrespecting me. He's, he's threatening my authority. And my wife was like, no, he's not. He's asking a question. But see, the reality is I've been in churches before where, where there are pastors or there are elders or there are council members or these piano players or whoever where, where it seems as though they put themselves above this, this idea of accountability where if you ask anything, it's seen as disrespect. And that's one of the reasons I love the network we're a part of, the network of churches, because we have, we have strong individuals who are leading out in this, like, uh, I think Troy, one of the guys that's leading our network of churches that are planting churches, is a salt network. One of the guys I just heard recently, he, uh, he was being described as a guy, he's, Troy is super strong, kind of crazy, right? You never know what he's going to say. And this, this one guy was talking about Troy, and he said, you know, Troy's the kind of guy that could have, he's so strong, he could have just surrounded himself with yes men and just kind of built his own kingdom. But he didn't do that. He surrounded himself with really strong individuals who challenge him. Strong individuals who, who question him. Strong individuals who, in a respectful way, will say, Troy, that's crazy and that's wrong. You can't say things like that. And so because of that, God has done amazing things through the network we're a part of. You see, I, I believe that if we're going to enter into this Christian community, we need to understand that it's any and all, anyone who's caught in any transgression, anyone. We're not above this, this idea of mutual accountability. And he says in that, right, he says in that, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You who are spiritual... Todd last week just taught on uh, the, the fruits of the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. What does it look like? And, and what he's saying is he's saying part of walking by the Spirit is, is you who are spiritual, who are, who are walking by the Spirit, restore those around you who are, who are being drawn into the works of the flesh. When you see them, I think that, that what Paul is saying here is he's saying Christians who are, who are broken, 
who are disjointed because that, that word restore, it actually means to like mend nets, like fishing nets. It means to mend those nets where if you have a, like a shoulder that's out of joint, it means to, to put that back in place. And see, what that means, what Paul is saying here is he's saying disjointed Christians need to be restored, not shot. Because I've seen that too, right? I've seen that too where, where people struggle and they fall and they, they, they fall into temptation, they fall into sin, and instead of coming around them, instead of, instead of lifting them up, instead of coming alongside them, what happens is either the, the Christian community begins to talk and everybody knows what's happening, but nobody, nobody wants to say anything. They begin to talk, or it's just they're, they're excommunicated. Let's send them out. Instead, what Paul says is those, those believers, those brothers, they need to be restored. They need to be mended. They need to, they need to be put back into place. Right? It, it's, it's this question of, of how, not if. It reminds me of when, when I broke my wrist, I was playing, uh, I was in a slow pitch softball game. Yes, you heard that correctly. And uh, slow pitch softball, it was co-ed, it was with my church up in Iowa. I, I'm, I get a little competitive sometimes, and I was up to bat, and the, the ball came in, high arc, and I just, just crushed it, you know? And it's just one of those hits where, you guys know what I'm talking about, where when you connect, it's just like, oh, <laughs> Right, and and it just sailed, and it like went clear out to the center field fence, and I'm I hit first base, and again I'm competitive. I hit first base, round first, got to second. I'm rounding second, and I knew stuff was going on out there in center field. You know, if you've ever been in that situation, you know what I'm talking about. But my third base, the third base coach was, come on, come on. And, and he was actually a youth group guy, so I, I shouldn't have trusted him. But but I rounded second, and I'm heading to third. And all of a sudden, I, I see the ball kind of fly in, and I know it's going to be close, so I drop down to slide, and when I drop down to slide, my wrist just goes pop, pop. <laughs> yeah, I landed really bad. And it was one of those feelings where it's like, oh, I just did something really bad. Like, this, this, this is not good. And, and I, then, to add insult to injury, I was out by a long ways. So, um, so I get up, and like my, our dugout was right there by the third base, and so like they were all like this. Oh, and my wrist was just like, it was not right. It was not. And so, so they, they put me in a car, took me directly to the hospital. They, they did x-rays, and the first doctor looked at it and said, oh, you're, it's just a clean break. You're fine. Um, take home, put ice on it. The swelling will go down. We'll put a cast on it. No problem. Another friend of mine, he was a doctor at the same hospital, and he said, yeah, you need a second opinion. So this other guy looked at the x-rays, and he said, no, that's not just a break. You have crushed your wrist. I actually, when I, when I went down on it, it actually just, it was like I took a hammer, they said, and I crushed it and pushed the bones back. And so they sent me to an orthopedic surgeon. I now have this awesome scar with a bunch of uh, screws and a, and a bar in here. But you see, I think what, what happens all too often when we, I tell that whole story because of this, what happens all too often in Christian community, what we see when, when things are broken when things are broken, what we do all too often is say, oh, it's, it's fine. Just, just cast it up. Just, just, you know, just put some ice on it. Rub some dirt in it. Man up. Right? It's, it's fine. For some reason, we have a really hard time dealing with hurting people in the church. And there have been some people that have been hurt really badly 
because the weight that they're experiencing, they don't, people don't come alongside them and help them shoulder it. They actually keep more upon them. And that's what Jesus even speaks out against when he's talking to the Pharisees. He's saying, you just, you just add more. You don't lift a finger to help. Again, the question isn't if we should restore, it's how. He says you should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And I think it's no, no, no coincidence that just before this, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the, the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. He's saying not, not in a harsh way, not in a way that you triumph over a, another brother and sister's uh, fall, not in a way that you just stand up and be like, oh, man. I would never do that. I can't believe anybody would do that. But it's in a way that you mourn over it. See, because there's uh, another pastor I was listening to this past week. He said, you can be right and be wrong at the same time. And I think that's what we've experienced all too often in the church. Is we come hard at things when, when we should be coming with a spirit of gentleness. And don't hear me say that now you can't call out things because that's exactly what we need at times. When there's brokenness, it's not just throw a cast on it and be, be fine, but it's calling out sin with a spirit of gentleness, caring more about restoring the person who's broken than us being right about the brokenness. Do you see that? He's saying restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Don't pretend like it's, like it's okay. And in the middle of this, I love where, where he, he gives a, a kind of a warning sign to the people who are seeking to do the restoration. He says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. And the question is, tempted in what? Right? And I, I don't think he's saying that the, the particular sin that this person is, is being crushed by, be careful that you don't get crushed by it too. I don't think he's saying that. I think what he's saying is be careful that you don't get tempted to come at this thing in an in a attitude of pride, in a spirit of pride. Where, where you're up from on this lofty mountain looking down and saying, again, I can't believe anybody would, would succumb to that. I Praise God, I never would. It reminds me of the, the story of the, the Good Samaritan. We, we know the story where this, this man, it says he falls in with, with thieves and robbers. And he gets beat up and he gets beaten and he gets robbed and he gets left along the side of the road, left for dead. And Jesus telling this story, he talks about uh, the, the first person that come along was a religious guy. And he, he comes along and he sees the man bloodied and bruised and broken. And what does he do? He can't be bothered by it. Because he has more important things to do. He has to, he has to go to the temple. He has to worship God. He can't, he can't get sidetracked by the needs of this person. And so he goes off. The next person that comes along is another religious guy. And, and he, same thing. He's got more important things to do. The next guy that comes along is a Samaritan. And a Samaritan in this day was a person where the Jew, the guy in the story who gets beat up, he and the Samaritan would have, would have hated each other because of racial differences in this story, in this time period. And yet the Samaritan lays all that aside and he takes the guy, he dresses his wounds, he puts him on his donkey, takes and pays for everything. And, and see, the, the reality, what we see here is Paul is saying, be careful when you seek to do the work of restoration that, again, it doesn't become more about focused on you and how how can't believe anybody would do that and less about the person being actually restored because I think that's what happened in the story. These guys took this position, these religious rulers, they forgot what they were supposed to be about. And, and we see that because, because Paul goes on to talk about, later on, he goes on to talk about us understanding who we are. But we're not, we're not there yet, so I can't, can't go into that. But he goes on and he says, 
instead of looking down on someone, right, from our ivory tower, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And as I read that, I can't help but think about, like, see, get this picture in my mind of, of instead of, like, these religious guys who can't be bothered by the brokenness of this man, instead, we get down into the, the muck and the mud and the mire, and we put our, our shoulder against the weight that is crushing this brother or sister. Because the word used there to describe this, this, this burden that, that we're, we're called to bear up, the word is... It's, it's, it could also be translated as an excessive weight. It's a weight that threatens to, to crush. It's, this, it's a crisis moment, either physically or spiritually. It's this weight that we see that's crushing, and instead of doing something to help, we just we walk on by. Paul says, bear one another's burdens. And I, I think we can't, we can't go on from there. I don't want to go on from there until we, we recognize if we're going to do this, we have to be in relationship with one another. This isn't, this isn't an idea of like long distance shaming. This isn't go home and you know, you know stuff's going on in the church so you write off a Facebook post and hit send real quick. This is getting into it with one another and the question is, do you want to know people in this way? Do you want to know people in this way? Because in our culture, we don't have to. We don't need to. We, we have thousands of Facebook friends and nobody who really knows us. We, we live in a culture where we can get in our car, we can leave from work, we can come home, the garage door goes up, we pull in, garage door goes down, and we don't have to interact with anybody else if we don't want to. Right? And, and, and all too often I think it's easy because, because other people's problems, well, how far will that go? Where will that take us? If we really engage, if we really enter in, Right? How, how far will, will that go? And, and it's just easier at times not to see. Or, or we look at it and say, well, but it's their own fault anyway, right? They got themselves into that mess. And I think, I think Paul heads off that, that uh, argument, that, that stance, by saying if anyone is caught in any transgression, that word transgression, it's a sin that, that overtakes and we can look at it and say, well, it's their, own, it's their own fault. They fell into that sin. They fell into that temptation. But I love what Ravi Zacharias says about sin. And I think Stan uh, used this quote a few weeks ago. But he says, sin will take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. See, it's true. If you look around and there are people caught up in sin, it's true that it's their own fault. It's their own decisions, possibly. But the reality is, is maybe they're in a place they never thought they would go, and now they have no idea how they're going to get out. Paul says, bear one another's burdens. And the other question I have for you is, do you want people to know you in that way? Do you want people to know you in that way? Because I'll, I'll be honest with you, this really challenged me. I think if we are going to do the work of restoration, we have to let people into our lives. And I... I I all too often don't want to be seen as vulnerable. I don't want people to know that I have burdens. 
I, I, I compartmentalize things so completely, so utterly. I, I put things that bother me just in this box, and I put them in a closet somewhere in my mind, and I shut the door. I do that so completely. One, one time, my wife and I, we were filling out an application to, to join this ministry when we were up in Iowa, and, and in the application process, they asked the question, uh, what difficult things have you gone through, and, and how, have they, how have they shaped your life or whatever? And, and I honestly, I was like, ah, I can't think of anything. I have nothing. And I wrote nothing on, on the thing. And I was talking to my wife later, and she's like, you wrote nothing? <laughs> nothing. You wrote nothing. In a time, she didn't really, she wasn't really like that. But it, 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 she's like, in a time where our kids are in and out of the hospital on a, on a weekly, if not like on a monthly basis, you, you wrote nothing. In, in a time where our daughter was diagnosed with a disease, the prognosis really didn't look very good. You, you wrote nothing. With all of that going on, see, see, the reason I did that is because, honestly, it's easier not to think about it than to let that stuff in, and it's easier not to let people know because I don't want to be anybody's project. I don't, I don't want you to see me as, as vulnerable. I don't want to let you in. See, and I think that's a problem in the Christian community. We, we need each other, right? We, we need each other. I, one of the pastors, one of my pastors up in Iowa, he said this quote, and it's really stuck with me. He said, it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to pretend like you're okay. It's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to pretend like you're okay. See, Paul says when we do this, when we enter in to, to other people's burdens, when we, when we enter in this way, he says we fulfill the law of Christ. And earlier on in Galatians, he says the whole law can be summed up in this. Love one another. In, in, in places like Matthew 22, uh, 37 through 39, we see where Jesus is answering a, a lawyer who, who asks him, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's, there's other places like in, in John 13, 34, where he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. But we don't only see it in his words, but we, we see it in his actions, right? We see it in, in John 4 where Jesus goes into this, this region of Samaria and he meets with this woman at the well who is worse than a prostitute. And instead of just heaping more condemnation on her, which is what her culture has done, he reveals to her that he's the Messiah, the one who's come to, to, to heal, the one who's come to, to bring restoration, and it's totally mind-blowing to his disciples. And, and we, see, uh, we see it also in like Luke chapter 7 where Jesus sees a widow who has lost her husband. And, and they're in this funeral procession. And, and now not only has she lost her husband, but she's lost her son. And, and because of that, culturally, she's probably going to die of poverty. And so what Jesus, he sees her, he sees her situation, he sees her need, and he is, he's spurred on by what he sees, and he brings her son back to life, and he restores this woman. He sees what's happening, and he's, he's moved by what's happening. And, and Paul says when we respond in this way, we fulfill the law of Christ, not, the, not this religious activity 
Not this like, well, I, I do this and I do that. But he's saying, no, how do you love people? Do you love God and do you love people? When we act in this way, that's what we are entering into. And he goes on to say, for if anyone, in verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. See, I, I love where, where Jesus, as, he's, as Paul is talking about the, the law of Christ, I mean, think about, think about places like in John 13 where, where Jesus reveals what it looks like to love people in this way by washing his disciples' feet. It, it was mind-blowing to the disciples. This is, this is when uh, Passover, they're celebrating Passover. This is the very night that his disciples are going to, to run away from him and deny him. And, and one of them would, would even deny him physically with a kiss and hand him over to, to his enemies. And yet each one, he washes their feet. Even Judas, do you realize that? Judas the betrayer, Jesus washes his feet. And it says this after, and Jesus says this, after he gets done, he takes his place, he says, do you understand what I've done for you? He asks him, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He says, it's good for you, now that you know this, that you do this. See, Paul says, if you think you're something, when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. And I think that lots of times we don't help out, we don't, we don't get down, we don't put our shoulder to the, the load, the burden that other people are feeling, is because we have this elevated view of ourselves. And that's Philippians says, don't think of yourself more highly than you should. Right? My, I, it reminds me, my sister, when we were kids, we used to have to pick up rocks. My, my dad, it build character, I guess. I don't know. He would, he would drop us off in the morning. He'd be on his way to work. He'd drop us off in a field. And, I mean, we were like, we were young, like eight, nine, ten. Um, and, and he'd say, all right, this is the field you got to do today. Pick up rocks. You know, he'd give us some water and leave with us. And it's like, like slave labor. Like, what is this, right? And, and I, it, no, it, it never failed. My sister was about three years older than I was. She would immediately become the taskmaster. And so my, my, me and my younger sister, uh, like seven, eight, I was a little kid. Like, I've got pictures. Of, I was little. And she would, she would make us hold our shirts out, and she would load all these rocks up in our shirts. And then she'd say, if you drop one of them on the way to the fence, if you drop one, you're going to lick it. And it was like, <laughs> you know, it was like my life, you know. And so we'd have to walk all the way to the fence and drop. But, but the thing is, my sister had the same command that, that I had. She had the same thing that, that I had. R pick up the rocks in the field. And yet she turned around and put the whole load on me. I think sometimes what we do as Christians, we look at other people around us. We look at the, the things they're failing in. We look at the struggles they have. And we heap more condemnation. We heap more things on them. Right? And we realize that we are in desperate need. We, we don't realize that we are in the same desperate need of Jesus that they are. He says, don't think of yourself more. Jesus says, be a servant. Love those around you. And so the, the question is, how, how do we do this, right? How do we, how do we live this out? Because this, this idea of mutual accountability, it, it only works when we understand who we are. But how do we, how do we live that out? And I think we see that as we go on in verse 4. It says, but let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. See, mutual accountability 
happens when we understand that there is personal responsibility, and that's the second thing that we see in Christian community. We see this idea of personal responsibility. The, the idea, he says, but let each one test his own work. How do you, how do, you do this? How do you remember who you are? That, that you, are not, you are not Jesus. You are not the, the, the standard by which everybody should live up to. He says, test your own work. Test yourself. Put yourself to the test. How am I loving others? How am I doing lifting the burdens of others? I, I think the best way to keep us from the temptation of pride is to truly examine our own hearts. I, uh, th- this word test, it, it really it kind of hits on like testing metal and what's in, what's in a metal. And I was watching a YouTube video. I, I don't know how to test what's in metal. I, don't, I have no idea. And I was watching a YouTube video about how you can test to see what's in a metal. And I didn't realize you can use a grinder to do this. Like a grinder, you know, one of those, you know, things that's like got sandpaper on it or whatever. And some of you could probably describe what a grinder is better than I could. But, but you, you take, this guy was taking metal and he was putting it up against this grinder that, you know, that, that has all this friction. And he said, all right, now watch the sparks that are coming off of this piece of metal. Because when the sparks come off, you could see what was inside the metal. And he's saying if, it's, if they're longer sparks and if they're, if they're more held together, it's this type of metal. If you hold another piece of metal up, did anybody know that? This is crazy, isn't it? And Brock's like, I don't think, I don't believe it. I, I can show you the YouTube video, right? But I was thinking about this in terms of, of, of testing ourselves, our own works. And I think it's interesting when you think about the sparks that come off of a metal that show what's truly in the metal. I think there are things in our lives that can cause friction, right? There are things in our lives that cause, that cause sparks, metaphorically, to fly off of us, right? And I think the question is when that happens, when we go through difficult things, when we are trying to love others, when, when we are trying to do these things that, that are difficult, the question is what is flying off of us? What's coming out of us? Is it, is it the fruits of the Spirit where in Matthew chapter 5 it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Is that what's flying off? Maybe there is someone in your life that's like, man, they shouldn't, how could they do this? How could they struggle? How could they stumble? How could they fall like this? How could they do that to me? I thought we were friends. I thought we were in Christian community. I thought this, I thought that. When, when that happens and you, you feel this friction, is it love, joy, peace, patience that's flying off of you? Or is it anger and jealousy and dissension? It says test yourself. Test your own work. And, and he, he says, therefore, right, test your own work and then This reason to boast, his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. And I think it's so interesting, this this section, there are things where it's like if you you read this, it's like, man, it seems like he's contradicting himself in other places, right? Because like in in 1 Corinthians 1.31, it says, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Later on in Galatians, it's going to say, boast in the cross of Christ. And now, but now he's saying, test yourself and the reason for boast will be in yourself. What he's saying, he's not giving way to pride for us. He's saying, look, stop the comparison game. Stop the comparison game, right? Just, just stop it. Cut it out. Stop comparing yourself to those around you to, to see how good you are, to see how, how, how much you, he says, test your own work. Because we can look around us and we can always find someone who's doing worse than us, right? We can always find someone who's doing worse than us. I, I'm, 
I'm almost out of time, but I do want to use this. I, I, I thought of this analogy to, to, to do this. Emily, can I have your, can I, can I have you come up here for just a second, real quick? Is that, yeah, just real quick. I, I was thinking about, I didn't tell her before this, I probably should have, but I was thinking about this, Emily's in our connection group, and so I was thinking about, you know, when we, when we play this comparison game as Christians, I think it can be like this, I was, uh, you came to connection group the other night, right? So I was thinking about Emily as I was going through this, because because there are, there are times in my life, especially as I was going through pictures of when I was younger, I was so short. I, hopefully. What if I didn't come today? No, I was going to use somebody else. I was. I was totally going to use somebody else. But there are times where, where when we compare each other, I'm like, man, I feel so tall right now, right? I feel like I could dunk a basketball, right? I can't. But because then I think it's interesting. Kevin, can you come up here for a second? <laughs> I think it's, I think I didn't tell him either. You feel all right that yeah, I didn't tell him? You're good? Okay. Because then I think what happens is, is I can look at Emily and I'm like, man, I feel really, really good, right? <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, oh, shoot, I'm not tall at all, right? I'm not, I'm not this. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, don't play this comparison game. Don't do this because you can look around yourself and be like, man, I'm doing really good. Oh, oh, man. I don't even come up to his shoulder. Right? And he says, your reason for boasting will be in yourself and not in others, not in those around you, not in how bad, not that you're bad, or how good or tall or, or anything else that other people around you. He says, for each one will have to carry his own load. And it, the reality there is that there will be some day where we will all have to stand before God. We will all have to stand before Christ. And we will have to give an account of what we've done with the, the life that we've been given. How we have loved God. How we have loved each other. And we can't go up and say, yeah, but God, look at me compared to Emily. Right? Look how tall I am compared to, to Emily. Right? I'm, I'm good. Right? I make it. Right? Because then it's like, well, Kevin, no, don't look at Kevin, right? Just look at, look at Emily. You guys can sit down. Thank you so much. Hopefully you come back to, to <laughs> church. But, yeah, give my hand, right? Yay. See, I, I think the reality there is he says for each one will have to bear his own load. When we stand before God, the question is, what have we done with what we've been given? And, and again, you can look at this and you can think, well, again, he's contradicting himself, Right? Because in verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens. And now he says, each one of you will have to carry your own load. But again, burden, not word, it's this crushing weight. But the word load, it can be described as more of like a backpack. It's, it's this smaller idea. It's, it's, it's still a weight. It's still a load, but it's like a, it's like a pack that was given to a Roman soldier. And it's their thing that they were going to carry, the, the thing they were expected to carry, he says, each one of you will have to do, you can't compare yourself and say, well, but look how good I am, or, or you know, all these other things. You can't, you can't do that. What you have to do is, is carry the thing that you have been given. How, how have you loved people? How have you, are you leaning into God? Are you leaning into community? Are you reading and, and loving more and, and are, you, are you pressing into what God has for you, the, the personal responsibility that you have, are you, or are you still depending on how good you look compared to others? 
See, we each have a personal responsibility when it comes to this thing called Christian community. And, and that's, that's really what it comes down to, right? It's, it's us taking personal responsibility to engage in mutual accountability. And, and what each and every one of us, I believe that there are people in here that you need to hear this message in, in light of, of this, this idea that it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to, to, to show your vulnerability. It's okay to say, man, I am dying here. I have a burden. I have this crushing weight. I have this thing that's over me, and I don't know what to do, and I just need somebody to come alongside and sit with me. It is okay for us to confess sin, to find freedom, because that unconfessed sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. It will make you pay more than you thought you would ever pay. But it is okay to come into a place and confess that. And yes, the healing process will probably hurt. But the freedom you receive, oh, it's so worth it. It's okay not to be okay. Press into community. Take steps towards vulnerability. And, and you guys, the flip side of that, some of us, we need to see the burdens, the loads that people are carrying. We need to see that crushing weight. We need to open up our eyes like Jesus did with, this, with the, the widow woman, and we need to see what's happening. When people say, no, I'm fine, it's like, really? Because you just suffered a loss. No, I'm fine. Really? Because... Because this is what I see from the outside, and maybe these people, we, they just need us to come alongside them and start to shoulder some of this, this load. And the other aspect of it, too, is that some of you in here, you can't do that because you're not first taking up your load. You're not first taking up your pack. You're not taking the responsibility that is rightfully yours to take. You're not leading, maybe it's, you're not leading your family well. You're not, you're, not, you're not working and saving, so therefore if someone has a crisis, you can't help. You're not, you're not pressing into to God and, per, and, and community, and so therefore you, you can't help those. It's, it's like when my kids and I used to, to pretend in the pool like I'm drowning, and they're like, oh, I'll save you, you know, and they would, they would pretend to rescue me. It's like they have no capacity to save me if I truly was drowning, because they don't have the strength. See, the reality, when we enter into personal, uh, personal responsibility, when we take up that pack, it enlarges our capacity to truly enter into this mutual accountability. So church, Christian, what does it look like to live in this Christian community? It means engage. Take up your, take up your pack. Take up your responsibility. Don't, don't rely on other people. Don't compare yourself to other people. Take on the spirit that says, God, anywhere, anytime, anything. I'm willing. Press in, lean in, and find the community that God so desires. And when we do this, everybody else will see. And it looks different. Let's, let's pray. God, I, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for I thank you for the community that you've placed us in. 
And God, I praise you for, for the, the different ones in here who, who are doing this. God, I praise you for the, the connection groups that, that are engaging in community. God, I praise you for the, the people who are shouldering those, those heavy, crushing weights. But God, I pray that you would be with us as we, as we seek to do this more. And God, I pray that each and every one of us in here would pick up our own load so that we would have the capacity to enter into those, those crushing weights that, that other people may be shouldering. God, I pray that you would help us to be a community of people who are getting our hands dirty alongside each other and helping each other to see Jesus more, to see the saving power of Jesus more. God, I praise you and I thank you and it's in your name, amen.